Hi there, and welcome to the Colson Boutique Show, a podcast based around the fine wine industry. I'm International Sales Director Daniel Patterson. Uh, we decided to do this podcast as a way of reaching out to more people uh, with the aim to demystify the snobbery that is associated with the fine wine market, and more importantly, showing how this is a fun market for everyone and not just the politicians and aristocrats. Now, don't get me wrong, here at Colson Boutique, our doors are open to all clients, including politicians, aristocrats. However, a fair portion of our clientele um, are the everyday people from engineers, postmen, business owners, entrepreneurs, architects, receptionists, civil servants, and so on. Now, some of our future guests will include uh, the aforementioned, and they will also include people very much within the industry, from vineyard owners to winemakers, uh, to people who deal with the logistical side of the market, actual clients of ours, wine critics, as well as new people we've been meeting along the way. Now, in the last decade or so uh, that I've been involved in this market, it feels like I've witnessed it all, from the Lehman Brothers collapse to Southeast Asia, dropping their import duties, most notably Hong Kong, um, who reduced their import duties down from 70% to 0% on all wines and spirits, uh, to the anti-gift crackdown by Chinese officials, the spectacular rise of Burgundy, the Napa wildfires, and in more recent times, that annoying word that seems to get on everybody's back, Brexit. Now, with that in mind, here with me to the, uh, today to discuss the year that was 2019 is our head of communications, Spencer Leitz. Spencer, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Daniel. Hi. How would you summarize 2019 for the fine wine market? Well, you touched on uh, a few of the things that have influenced the market over the last uh, year or so. Yes. It has been quite a turbulent year. Um, the benchmark index for the wine market, which is the LiveX 100, that actually showed a minus 3% negative growth mm-hmm. um, in 2019, which on face value isn't great. I mean, if you were a, a lay person looking at a newspaper and you saw that figure, you'd think, well, that's not very impressive. Um, but that actually tracks the price performance of 100 brands across the fine wine market. So what we really need to look at is to scratch beneath that. And there's actually some really good um, success stories, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, to give a few examples, there's a Giacomo Conterno that managed to show 75% growth, which That's is, very you know, nobody would turn their nose up at that. No. Um, also, uh, Chaputier Hermitage, which showed just over 50% growth over the same period. Yes. Um, there are, you know, the double digit growth goes on really. There's a selection of champagnes that um, did very well. Mm-hmm. Um, other wines from Piedmont uh, across Italy. Yes. And uh, a number of Burgundies that all showed double digit growth. And um, we're very happy to say that we've dealt with uh, the majority of those. But as you said at the start, Brexit, the US China trade wars. Oh and Hong Kong yeah. all had a negative impact. Um, luckily, we've just heard today that um, the US has stepped back from the, the larger tariffs that they were about to impose. But the existing 25% tariffs on wines from the EU do still remain in place. Um, luckily, Champagne and Italian wines have had uh, a bit of an escape route there. So that tied in with their recent performance makes them you know, a, a really standout um, area of the market to put some money into. No, definitely. And I think, as you mentioned as well, when we've seen the uh, performance on the LiveX table, with uh, Giacomo Conterno and with some other champagne brands as well. I believe Bollinger had performed exceptionally well Mm. towards the end of the year after that tariff 
announcement was made, uh, we as a company, and I think the whole industry, including LiveX, saw, and even auction for that matter, saw a sharp increase in terms of the amounts of Italian wines and champagnes that were traded in the secondary market, which is something we've been advising our clients for, I believe, at least the at least last 10 years, right? Yeah, existing clients that have been reading our, our newsletter would be able to contest that we've been promoting diversification within the wine market for years now. Yes. And <clears throat> this change in the market hasn't happened overnight. If you go back to 2010, Bordeaux's share of trade was in the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, the ni- over 90%. Yeah. Um, but if you look at it today, it's, it's closer to 50%. Mm. Um, and it goes even below that month on month sometimes. Mm-hmm. So there's been a huge shift, a sea change in the type of wines that people are putting money into. And we've watched that. We've observed that for a number of years. It hasn't some, it's not something that's happened all of a sudden, yes. um, but it really is becoming more prominent now as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And that does really back up our strategy that you should look to spread your um, risk, if you like, across many different regions. The wine market does tend to perform on a regional basis. And you see, for example, Burgundy will have an uplift. It will have a a great spurt of growth, Mm. but it will then stagnate for a a short while. And while that's stagnating, for example, California will see a a growth spurt. And it's like any financial market. It works in cycles. And as long as you are aware of that and can plan ahead and have a reasonable strategy to allow for those cycles, you should be able to see a very good return over a five to 10 year period. No, absolutely. And that's something that we we have always professed is that medium to long-term, five to 10 years, when you can realistically see a much better return on your um, investments uh, within this market, of course. And as you stated quite correctly, Bordeaux dominated the market for much of 2010, early part of 2011 as well. Um, However, diversification is key in any investments, including fine wine, of course. And with the diversification we've seen from beyond Bordeaux, we've got Burgundy, as you stated, there's other regions, South Australia, Spanish wines, and so on and so forth. What would your predictions be for 2020? Obviously, I know it's just been announced today that, of course, the tariffs are going to be frozen for now. Mm. But what are the premonitions for the, the year ahead? I would say in very basic terms, uh, my personal belief is that um, Northern Rhone is a good place to um, to store some capital for the time being. That's an area that we've been expecting some growth from for uh, quite some time now, and it hasn't quite materialised in the same degree as it has in other regions. So we feel it's still overdue, um, a growth spurt that I mentioned earlier on. Mm. Um, so I would say some of the top flight wines from Northern Rome would be a great place to look. Um, but as you said as well, Italian wines, they have a great entry point um, financially. Mm. If you've ever looked at the price of getting involved in the premium Burgundy market, oh. you would have balked at some of the prices. Mm. Um, that really is the big boys uh, area. But um, if you like that kind of level of performance, you can see similar performance from Italian wines at a fraction of the cost. Mm. Um, and that, as you mentioned as well, Champagne. Champagne is, is really coming into its own. And it is a really popular uh, region with our clients mainly because they understand champagne um, when you're talking to somebody about uh, a wine a red wine that costs thousands of pounds a bottle it's hard for our clients who in many cases are just ordinary people yeah. to understand what the the cycle of that 
product is. They understand it's an expensive wine, but when do they ever see that being consumed? Whereas with Prestige Champagne, people understand it gets consumed. They see it being consumed, and in in many cases, they consume it themselves. Mm -hmm. So they understand that product cycle a lot better. Um, And it's just great to see that uh, region getting its prominence. Mm. Um, There were some brands that were bumped up into the top uh, 10 of of the LiveX Power 100. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it's a really good time to be looking at champagne. Definitely Italy for its entry level and its performance. And I'm not willing to give up on Rhone yet, so I definitely divert some of my funds toward Northern Rhone. I agree with that, and as you mentioned as well, with the uh, with the champagne houses, there were three notable ones in particular that we have dealt with for the last, I believe, at least six years. Uh, that being Krug, which was in at number four, mm-hmm. Louis Roder Cristal at number five, um, Moet and Chandon. I believe that's linked because of the Dom Perignon was in at number nine and Sassicaia from Italy, number seven. So yeah. it was the first time ever that any first growth from Bordeaux, Mouton Rothschild, Lafitte Rothschild, Margot, Aubryon were outside the top 10 in the 14 plus years LiveX been doing it. I believe the only one that retained his top 10 status was Chateau de Tour. But um, I also believe as well, Napa Valley is something that's going to do Mm. extraordinarily well in 2020. I believe some of the statistics that LiveX have thrown out there have proven that the Napa wineries, Ridge Montebello, Dominus, Screaming Eagle, to, to name a few, have performed up to around, I believe, 78% or within that region within the last five years, outperforming some of the other sub-indices for LiveX as well. Because, of course, with... With Napa, you've got the big scores, you've got the rarity, and you've got the reputation. And mm-hmm. it's something different. And again, it's diversifying from beyond the tradition, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, Californian wines are fantastic, and their performance on paper is um, is really staggering. One thing that we have to bear in mind is that that side of the market, the secondary market for Californian wines in the UK, is still very premature. It still needs to develop. It needs to strengthen, and it needs to become more, more liquid. Um, But the wine market is all about looking ahead at what is to come. And we believe that that market for Californian wines in the UK will strengthen, will become more buoyant. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I I, I agree with with that prediction. I think that would be, again, another great place to put your capital. And, um, And don't forget as well that we do deal directly with a lot of prestige US auction houses. So even though the market isn't that developed in the UK, we still have a, a very firm exit strategy for our clients that have taken a position in those wines because we deal direct. I mean, you've had a heavy involvement with that as well. With, yes. Uh, Zaki's, for example, yeah. we held a couple of really good auctions towards the end of last year. Well, they did, did really well. Absolutely. As well as uh, Acker. And I think one our viewers has been more familiar with Sotheby's, mm-hmm. who last year announced for the first time in their history had achieved a 100 million US dollar sale worth of wine and spirits uh, in an auction calendar year, mm. which again is, is they, unheard of. They broke the record for breaking records. They did. Yeah. <laughs> they did. And again, we saw some extraordinary examples of, you know, there was that bottle of Macallan whiskey that sold for close to, you know, 1.5 million pounds earlier in 2019. There was one bottle of uh, Domaine de la Romney Conti sold for close to 500,000 pounds mm-hmm. for one bottle. 
it just seems that the records are there to be broken. You know, so it's, you know, it's very interesting times. In 2020, I think we'll offer a lot of opportunities for people yeah. already in the market and, uh, you know, new to this market too. But, um, you know, on that subject with people looking to get involved and for people who may not be involved already, why are so many people already involved and what should people be looking for as to the sort of benefits they can get through investing in fine wine? Traditionally, people are always attracted by the non-correlation of the fine wine market. So um, any fluctuations that you saw in the currency market, for example, wouldn't necessarily be echoed in the fine wine market. Um, but also the tax efficiency of the market, um, it is, uh, you know, has a, a very low tax responsibility. Obviously, for more detail of that, speak to your tax advisor, but it's not income bearing, for example, so there's going to be no income tax. Um, but also outside of that, a lot of the things that you mentioned towards the start of the uh, the call, the uncertainty that you've seen in other areas, mm. have made a lot of more traditional areas of investment quite volatile. And fine wines performance does compare very favorably. Um, if you, for example, layered up the performance of the fine wine market over the FTSE over the last year, you would visibly be able to see that the fine wine market is a lot less volatile. Its movements are less extreme and less uh, frequent. So it's that kind of stability in, in this kind of chaotic financial mm -hmm. environment that people seem to be magnetized towards. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, the best things about the fine wine market is many of the wines that we deal with are produced to a limited quantity, usually either limited in, in, in French terms by law, um, but in, in other areas, it will be limited purely by the size of the vineyard. Yeah. Because um, wines are produced geographically. Mm -hmm. um, there's a French term terroir, which refers yes. to the, the, the taste of the earth being, being prominent mm. through the vines um, and then obviously in the resulting wine. And because of that, if you have a fantastic wine of a, an international following, collectability, there'll be a limited area of land that you can grow the fruit on that's going to contribute towards making that wine. So that in itself limits the production quantity. So um, you have a fairly static um, supply line. Yes. Servicing an ever-growing demand. Right. Um, the amount of people that are drinking and collecting these wines is growing year on year on year. So that in itself puts upward pressure on price. So for those who are, you know, new to the investment, some of the questions I've, um, I've had over the years is, well, where do I store it? How is it kept? I haven't got room in my house. I don't have a cellar. How do we look after the client's wines? Um, if you're looking to get involved in the fine wine market, you have to make sure, obviously, that you're getting involved with a reputable company, mm -hmm. um, see that the company's been around for a decent amount of time. Ideally, are they members of recognized trade bodies? Um, have they won any recognized awards? Those kind of things really do help to separate, if you like, um, the good companies from the not so good. Um, we recommend five years storage insurance in order for the wine to mature and for the secondary market to develop, etc. So in order to see that a company has the ability to show returns, you have to deal with a company that's been around for you know a minimum of six, seven years least, to see that they've been yeah. through that cycle with clients. Um, but once you've you know, you're happy that you're working with a, a company that, that's going to do the right thing by you. I would also make sure that your wines are stored professionally. Don't store them at home. I know it's something you kind of mentioned it tongue in cheek, yeah. but to somebody looking at this market from the outside, they wouldn't have an idea of how it works. Um, fine wine 
long-term storage has to be within a certain parameter, temperature-wise, um, not in any strong lights, etc. And there are bonded warehouses across the UK that are dedicated to storing fine wine. Um, one of the world, uh, definitely the UK and Europe, but, but probably globally, one of the most recognised companies for this is London City Bond, who we use. Mm. Um, we use their Burton-upon-Trent facility called Vinatec. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an old Victorian uh, building and they have a uh, state-of-the-art air conditioning system which makes sure that the, the the environmental conditions are absolutely perfect the temperature the humidity if they fall outside of the parameters that, that are required um, the management at, at the facility automatically get messaged so they can get straight on it and find out what the problem is um, also insurance there's um, a level of insurance that will always come, or in most cases will come with your storage if you have your wine stored at a bonded warehouse. But it's worth checking that the the level of cover offered by that insurance policy matches the replacement value of your fine wine. Um, some of these warehouses can have a limit, if you like, to the amount of cover that can be offered. For worst case scenario, a bomb falls on the warehouse and it wipes out every wine in the warehouse. Yes. There will be a limit to their cover. Um, we... At Colton Boutique, we take out our own um, private policy with an independent company, and that covers all of our clients' wines at their replacement value, not only whilst they're in Vinatec, but it also covers them whilst they're in transit, if they're being sent off to be sold at LiveX, or if they're being sent overseas to be auctioned. You have the peace of mind of knowing that your wine is covered. Um, and if anything, God forbid, were to happen to it, you would be paid out at its replacement value. Um, the other factors to think about, obviously, is monitoring your um, your investment. Um, a portfolio of wine can, as it grows, become quite complex to track. Yes. Um, we at Colton Boutique have an online portfolio. So when you become a client here, you're provided with login details to your own online portfolio. You can log into that from anywhere in the world where there's an internet connection, and that will give you um, the price that you paid for your wine, It'll also give you a market low, average, and high, um, and those figures are updated daily. We wouldn't necessarily suggest that you check the value of your wine daily. Uh, probably monthly would suffice, but just for peace of mind, you know you can log in and check that price whenever you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you're happy with the performance you've seen, uh, to most of our clients, the, the most important part is obviously the exit strategy, finding the right time to dispose of your wine at a good price, using the right exit strategy for that wine. Um, getting back to, to some of the comments earlier, there are wines that didn't too well, didn't do too well, for example, on the LiveX exchange in the last year, but we've been able to get fantastic prizes for in the US at auction. Yes. And we have staff here that would be able to help you through that, guide you through it, discuss your strategy, and ultimately work out which of our exit strategies best suits the wines that you're looking to sell. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And you you also made a couple of very good points there, which is what people should look out for when getting involved in a company. Could you share with our viewers some of the accolades and achievements uh, that Colson Boutique have won the awards and some of the governing bodies that we work directly with? Yeah, well, we're we're members of um, LiveX, which is the London International Vintners Exchange. Mm -hmm. Um, It is an online wine trading exchange. Um, It's a trade-only environment, so it's only open to wine merchants. Um, And also, it's an anonymous environment. So even though we go on there and sell our wine, we don't know who buys it from us. They don't know who they're buying it from. All they see are um, offer prices, and they bid against those. 
Um, that's probably one of the more time efficient exit strategies for our clients. Um, we are also members of the London Chambers of Commerce. Um, the reason being they help us with all our export papers when we are sending wines overseas to be sold at auction. Um, they help us with the exportation of that. Um, wine Searcher, which is uh, an online fine wine pricing database. Yes. So it links into literally tens of thousands of fine wine merchants around the world. We have won for the third consecutive year their gold award for our new world selection of fine wines. Um, and the award is also, as, as they themselves profess, very much linked to customer service. So it's fantastic to be continued getting that pat on the back from such a recognised body. Uh, absolutely. And as you mentioned, Wine Searcher, uh, in my opinion, probably the biggest search engine out there for fine wine prices. So mm. the fact that we have received such an award three years on the chart consecutively obviously speaks very high volumes but um we're almost out of time so spence i would like to thank you once again for taking time out of your busy schedule to be joining me on today's podcast thanks Daniel. um however join us next time as we will have a fifth generation winemaker join us here at colson boutique in richmond upon thames it's going to be a very exciting time hopefully as exciting as today's podcast and um until next time thank you very much